tell you where to go to put yourself in the know Now politics is usual, I'm really talking reform Peace, love, and positivity we really put on You know I do it for the people cause we gotta push forward Bear witness to a mind not defined by a politician Bliss and ignorance but take a stand and play your position Gain and understanding when we talk you gotta listen Why you drawing those conclusions, don't you see the bigger picture? Insane but so real Give me change that you can feel Yeah, a dream we can believe Yeah, welcome to Noville Yeah Yo, 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 what's up, Novillians? This is Rome coming back to you with another Noville interview uh, Today I'm speaking with a person that I was introduced to through the work I'm trying to do with Tennessee Progressive League. Um, and like, he, he was a person, his name kept coming up. They're like, oh, this dude named Kemp, this dude named Kemp. Um, and being in Tennessee and someone championing progressive cr- causes, you're definitely going to sort of try to gravitate and find out, you know, what that person has going on, what that person is talking about. So without further ado, I'm here speaking with Kemp Fanito. Am I saying that right? Kemp Finito. Finito, so, yeah, there we right. go. All Finito. right, all right. Uh, and so, Kemp, man, if you would, talk to our audience and uh, let them know your story, man. Uh, let's start at the beginning. How'd you grow up? Okay, so, man, I grew up, I grew up with a single father. You know, my dad was working three jobs. He was, uh, he was always busy to take care and provide for me. But he wasn't there. He wasn't able to really be there. So I kind of grew up, you know, getting it out, getting it out the mud. You know what I'm saying? Getting it out, like, by myself. I was outside at a young age. So I grew up, you know, I didn't really have a lot of leadership. All I knew from my dad was, all I got from my dad was his work ethic, you know what I'm saying? Which which means a lot, because a lot of people don't even get that. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah, so I got a lot of work ethic from my dad. Um, He put me into he put me into boxing at a young age and had me in sports. He had me in every sport, football, basketball. Well, not every sport, but football, basketball, and boxing were my three sports. So he kept me busy, but he was never the one to take me to practice. He would always have my coach come and pick me up or a friend come and pick me up which I respect him because he was doing the job that he needed to do. Um, but it kind of ran me away from from boxing because, you know, you need somebody that you love and you trust in your corner. And I really didn't have anybody. So it ran me out of my boxing career. I mean, out of my boxing stage early. So I was playing basketball and football with my friends because that's all they ever did. You know, no, if so- I- if I could ask a quick question, um, and when you say, you know, you grew up in a single parent household, I almost guarantee you most people just automatically assumed it would be um, single mother. Coming from a single father household, and, and you already talked about, you know, how the emphasis was, you know, placed on sports, um, which could be seen as, you know, giving structure, um, and it could also be something to sort of steer you towards a productive path. But having had the experience of growing up in a in a single father household, have you ever um, 
sort of compare that to the stories you hear when people say they had a single mother or do you see do you, do you feel like they sort of match up to your experience even though it was a single father oh yeah i've definitely compared the two and i feel like uh it's it's gonna it is different because you know um growing up being a man growing up in a single in a single mother home would be different because you know it's going to be a really hard for a woman to teach uh, a guy how to be what society looks at as a man. You know what I'm saying? So when it comes to, if you're speaking in those terms, it, it's definitely, I, but on the other end, it's hard to get the sensitivity and the, uh, you know, the nurturing care that mothers would give from a single father. You know, we, I was desensitized at a, at a young age. You know, my dad was always the type of guy to be like, men aren't supposed to cry, da 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 You know, just because that's what he was taught from his dad and so forth and so, and so on. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I definitely would say it's there. there is a difference, but then there is, you know, uh, some there is a common ground as well by just not having something that, another parent could give and bring along to the table right right um and so not to derail you you were saying you had sort of become disinterested in boxing and gravitated more towards basketball uh well i gravitated towards football football was my go-to sport but football and basketball were the sports that my friends were playing so that's what i kind of we were always playing that together so nobody wanted to Nobody really just likes to get hit in the face for fun. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So nobody wanted to be – nobody wanted to play boxing. Right. I, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yes. Um. So, like, at the time that you sort of transitioned more towards the football and basketball, like, what grade are you? What how, What age are you? Um. By the time I – I was probably – I was in 10, 11. So that's the age of the grade. Oh, I was that was my age. I was oh, eleven okay. or ten or eleven. And that was because with boxing, it's so much repetitive movements and it's just there's a it's a there's a real art to boxing. Um, that's why so few people are able to be successful in that. I just got uh I didn't have anybody to push me in that. So my coaches would be like, stand here and throw a thousand jabs. I'm like, yo, why am I just throwing jabs? Now I understand the motions and the, uh, you know, the process. But then I didn't understand at all. Right, right. Um, and so basically you got more um, immediate gratification from playing the team sports because, one, you're actually with your friends and your peers doing this. But, two, it's something you can all, you know, be involved in. So that definitely makes sense. Um, so throughout school, like middle school, high school, did you, did you like keep with these sports in an organized way, like through the school system, or was it just something that you, you know, did, but not necessarily in a, in an organized school way? Oh yeah. So I kept with them. I kept with them during school. And so I was always, uh, I was always a super smart kid. But I was never – I was too smart for my own good. So I would just be 
you know, doing my own thing, not paying attention um, to the class, not doing what I was supposed to do and thinking that I could always get away with everything. So I would, uh, so I was somewhat mischievous. I was like a class clown, but every time I, I would never do my homework, I didn't have anybody at home pushing me to do my homework. So whenever I, but whenever I would go to take my test and all my, all my academics, I was, I was still making A's and B's on all my tests. So my teacher would always be like, yo, you never do your homework. You have to be smart. If, if only you would just apply yourself and do your homework, you would have straight A's in this class, you know, so I would never do. So really what pushed me away from a uh, sport sport wise in, uh, in high school was my academics weren't up to par. I would, I would laugh in class, play around, joke, you know, and just be mischievous. I was misled at a young age. I got you. Um, now, I, I sort of caught a moment ago, you said misled at a young age. Is this like, uh, is that yeah, a I was to like a peer, peer influence or? Yeah, man, I was looking up to people. I was looking up to people, to my peers and people that were a little bit older than me that were, uh, you know, that were taking, taking the, the latter route or taking the easy, easy route, like, you know, selling drugs, doing things like that. You know, that's that really in the long run, that's the easy route, the hard route and the way that nobody wants to take is doing things the right way, which is, you know, starting your own businesses, uh, building your financial, building your financial situations, you know, what I'm saying getting earning financial freedom, you know, what I'm saying building your credit, things like that. So I was just never taught. I was never taught to do that. You know what I'm saying? Right. Now, uh, when you're going through all this, are you living in Tennessee at this time? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. And what, what part of Tennessee? What city? I was in Johnson City, Tennessee. Okay. Definitely. Um, and that's something that def- definitely I know um, gets slept on a little bit because when people mention, like, you know, Tennessee cities, they usually – Johnson City might – get mentioned generally probably not though unless it's a specific reason you're mentioning like Johnson City you know um so I mean tell me a little bit about that because a lot of people like really just have no idea man it's almost like Johnson City in the east and Clarksville in the west they just sort of get forgot about right um yeah what's so, Johnson City that, like so Johnson City man it's a uh so there's three cities combined together basically it's Johnson City Bristol and Kingsport, those are called the Tri-Cities, you know, and Johnson City would be the most city part about the Tri-Cities, you know what I'm saying, it's where, this is basically, um, this used to be called Little Chicago back in the 70s, this was Little Chicago because Al Capone had, um, he had a base here, he had all, like, a lot of his people here, and this is where he was shipping out a lot of his, uh, his liquor. Um, so there's un- underground tunnels and everything in Johnson City. Hey, not, to cut a, not to cut across you, I apologize. I just have to say this. Um, it's funny you mentioned that. I went to, uh, I attended UT with this dude. It was a, a white dude that had the biggest afro like I had ever seen in my life. Everybody just called him fro. Like I legit 
if you ask me with a gun to my head right now, I don't think I could tell you this guy's real name. It was just a white dude with this huge afro that everybody called Fro. Uh, but he was from the Tri-Cities. I don't know if it was Johnson City specifically, but he uh, was telling me that back in the day, like, yo, man, Capone used to have this. This was his spot. And I was just like, what? And it's so, it's so crazy that you bring that up. Yeah. So if you're a resident in Johnson City and your family grew up in Johnson City, then you would know that, you know what I'm saying? But a lot of people don't know that from the outside looking in, you know what I'm saying? But this was a, a, a big spot for that, you know what I'm saying? My great-grandfather and my great-grandmother, you know, they were like, they were, they were like people that worked with Al Capone, you know what I'm saying, from this city. So, you know what I'm saying, it's different. And, you know, my great-great-grandfather and grandmother, they were, they were basically slaves, you know what I'm saying? So it's like my family's, I have, a, I still come from an older family. You know what I'm saying? My dad, my dad is 59. You know what I'm saying? So he had, a, he had 11 brothers and uh, he had 11 brothers and two sisters growing up. So he can't, we come from those type of families and those type of environments. But yeah, Johnson City, Tennessee is like the center line for Al Capone. This was the center line between Florida and New York. And for people that are confused or might be trying to do this in their head, you got to keep in mind at this point, the uh, interstate system doesn't exist. So it's just the highway system that everyone usually just ignores now, unless they're, you know, going somewhere <laughs> local. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, man. Nah, that's, 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 well, I guess we got confirmation, man. Today, uh, maybe that's where Al Capone's vault is, right? That Geraldo tried to find it famously years ago. Maybe it's somewhere in Johnson City. You never know, man. Definitely, definitely. Um, so what's the what's the the flavor of Johnson City culturally? What is it like? Like, what's the mood of it? So Johnson City, man, we're so it's a very diverse uh community, man. It's like we we've we have a lot of people that are, and it's a college town. ETSU's here, so it's a uh. East Tennessee State University, of course, you guys have heard of it. I, I would hope, but uh, it's a very diverse town. Um, we're surrounded by a bunch of uh, I guess this is we're we're in the in the country, so we're surrounded by a bunch of southern, deep south representatives like rebels and things like that. But Johnson City. It isn't like that. Johnson City is a place where I guess the people that are all for diversity and the people that just don't care and want and are happy about themselves come to to live. You know what I'm saying? So here isn't we it, I was gonna say, isn't it crazy how the places with universities tend to attract people like that? Yeah, yes, sir. It's like the smarter the smarter you get, the more open you are to different ideas you know what i'm saying <laughs> i guess apparently that's what it that's what it seems to be trending towards um and also uh you had mentioned etsu earlier um some more news-minded people might also remember that's the school where the coach stood with the players when they decided to or not stood with literally but stood with the players when they decided to um, kneel for the anthem, right? And then they, they got him fired or he resigned. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, yeah. They uh, 
So they made him resign, basically, yes, because of that reason. So, yeah, that was a weird situation. And, of course, the city of Johnson City in a whole was standing behind that coach. Right, right. Um, and it's so – it's Tennessee, and I'm sure every place is probably like this except, you know, places that are really progressive. Um, and then, of course, the conservatives there probably feel this way. But Tennessee's so weird, man, because you would think there's enough people that live in, say, a Johnson City, a Knoxville, a Chattanooga, a Nashville, a Memphis, and I'm not going to forget Clarksville. Um these bigger cities that probably lean left, right? Because most of our major cities are, are left-leaning, or at least left-leaning compared to what we consider, like, right. Um, and it's, like, all these little places you've never heard of have enough people where it's like, no, nah, we're just, we're going to counter it out, and, like, Governor Lee's going to be the guy that gets elected when it's like, bro, there's, like, so many people that know this dude is terrible. Um, and that's just me going off on a tangent. Um, but back to you. So grow up in Johnson City. Um, you said it's, it's a very smart place. Is that is that sort of growing up and incubated in that environment? Do you think is what sort of pushed you towards activism or is there more to the story that leads to that? Yeah, so. What pushed me towards activism would have definitely been the environment that I grew up in because we never, in Johnson City, it's like, it's very rare, especially, and I'm not going to say never because it happens all over. Um, we're not really faced with a bunch of, and my main reason for joint, starting activism was due to uh, racism and being and people being prejudiced towards one type of individual. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what type of individual. I'm, I don't stand for it either way that it goes. But so that was my main reason, because in Johnson City, we don't see that. Like for the, the majority of the people here are nice people. Like they really they they've never, you know what I'm saying, crossed any lines that would make me not want to be here anymore. This is the perfect uh, place to, I guess, retire and settle down and to raise your children. You know what I'm saying? But what made me go into activism or start activism is because I knew that somewhere out there, that somewhere out there in the world, that is what was going on. And I don't want to limit myself to just, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to limit myself to one city. You know what I'm saying? Because we're human beings, so we got to look out for everybody. So Definitely. I know, whole and whole, our state is terrible. Tennessee, the state of Tennessee is terrible for, you know, down downgrading people and putting people down. So, yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, just when you look at like the previous legislation that's been passed since um, the current administration has been in office, man, it's like there's almost no marginalized groups that hasn't had its right attacked, even if you just look at their anti-protesting legislation. So any group that wanted to air their grievances against the government as allowed by protesting has been severely hampered by uh, the legislation Tennessee passed against that. Um, but yeah, you're you're definitely you're definitely right in that regard. Yeah, most definitely. 
Um, so, I mean, are you able to speak of, like, was there, like, the specific incident that, that sort of galvanized you? Can you go into that? Um, I mean, so what get what really got me um, and what continues to, you know, wear and tear on me a little bit is, see, my dad, he's black, and my mom, she's white, right? So I see both sides of I see both sides of the of of people like all the time you know what I'm saying so what really would get me is I would hear white people talk about black people and black people talk about white people so in order to 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 close that gap to close that gap I felt like that would that would have been my place and that is my place I feel like to close that gap and bring an understanding that maybe, hey, we're not so different after all. You know what I'm saying? Of course, you know, with of with black people, we know, and I know for a fact, and my family knows, you know, it's not the same. We're definitely not the same because, you know, we were forced here over 400 years ago. We've been tarnished and, and dismantled, you know what I'm saying? But if you if we want to move forward we have to find a common ground amongst each other so that's what really pushed me to uh to start my walk of activism definitely man um and i know that's it's it it can be a struggle and i think uh you know we possibly probably spoke about this before but um i know a lot of times in the black community um especially in activism it's almost like there, there's gatekeepers and rightfully so because there, there's definitely been infiltration and, and, you know, saboteurs all throughout all type of uh, movements for black liberation, black empowerment, black financial gain. Um, but it's like, you know, a lot of times there'll, there'll be a conversation of like, Oh, well, if you're really for black, you know what I'm saying? Then, then X, Y, Z shouldn't, shouldn't be allowed or you shouldn't date white women or you shouldn't have, you know, uh, kids with white women or white men for that matter. If you're a uh, black woman. Um, and I know that's like, I, it's, it's a struggle for me internally because at one point it's like, you know what I can get, I get the logic that you're coming with. But then at the same time, it's like, yeah, but at a certain point, you have to look at each individual person and go from there, right? Um, has that been something that you, like, had to deal with at all, specifically being biracial? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I've heard it all. You know what I'm saying? I've heard a lot. The thing is, I can't – like you like you said, gatekeeping. Like, I won't let anybody keep me from marching forward. You know what I'm saying? And doing what I feel like is right. You know what I'm saying? Just because uh, somebody else is doing it, which is completely necessary. You know what I'm saying? It is 100% necessary for there to be some type of, you know, realists that are seeing all that. Like, yo, we can't have da 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 da, -da X, Y, Z, or we won't be able to, uh, we'll be no more. You know what I'm saying? Something like that. But if we continue to do that and be like that within ourselves, then say I'm speaking it from the black side, from the black perspective. So say when the white person and the white man is doing the same thing, 
now we're looking at that as being wrong, like supremacy. Like that's not if we if we if it's not right on one end, then it shouldn't be right on the other end. But I understand to having to kind of offset the situation since one group is doing it. Now we have to do this to to still at least try to be equivalent. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I face those type of issues um, basically on a day-to-day basis, man. But I don't let it bother me and I don't let it get to me. And I just continue to, to bother. I don't let, I just continue to be me, which that's what really, see, that's what really, um, that's one of the toughest parts is to continue to be yourself. You know, after all this, people telling you what you can be, what you aren't, what you are, you know what I'm saying? What you can't be. So that's why I stress with people. And that's why I've taken, uh, you know, I've taken major steps to work strictly on myself, like on my mental health, on my, you know, mind, body and soul just in general, you know, because you can't be an activist and want to help the people if you're not even with, if you can't help yourself. You know what I'm saying? So that's one of my biggest, that's my biggest thing. Like, I don't want to hear from somebody. Like, I understand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all, everybody has good words and words of advice, but if your mental health and you're, and you're not good yourself, then you can't tell somebody else how to live. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. Um, and that's the, that's, Hey, that's a really succinct point. Um, and so talking about like that mental health journey that 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 journey of self-improvement that you went on is is that like what sort of made you want to accept this challenge of like becoming a professional boxer oh yeah that's definitely well I've, I've been so probably about one year before the uh a year before the uh the brianna brianna uh Dang goodness, Brianna Taylor uh, protests were going on. I had nah, was it? It might have been a about a year and a half before that actually. Yeah, I had already taken my first amateur amateur fight. So what? That's like three years now, almost. Time flies. So yeah, about three years ago, three years ago, I was weighing. I was at a hundred and eighty pounds, something like that. Uh, One hundred and eighty pounds. And I wasn't taking care of myself and I wasn't doing anything. I mean, I was, you know, taking care of myself, but I wasn't doing nothing that I was what I should be doing. You know what I'm saying? I was smoking, drinking, doing whatever I wanted to do. So but um, so then I started taking myself more seriously and I was like, man, I want to change something. I was like, I want to change something in this world. This is before the Breonna Breonna Taylor uh, protest. I was, I was like, man, I want to change something. Something's got to be done within my neighborhood, within, you know what I'm saying, my community. Something's got to be done because I kept seeing all these little kids taking and all these younger gentlemen taking the wrong route. Nobody was going, people were skipping school, hanging out on the corners, doing whatever they wanted to do. Everybody was, everybody just turned into the plug all of a sudden. So I was like, man, I want to show them that there's, that this isn't the way. So I started boxing and I was like, okay, I'm going to start boxing, go down here with my, my guy. His name is Roy King. And he was, a uh, uh, he's, he passed away. He was a WBC champion, which is like a, a real accomplishment in the boxing world, but he passed away two years ago. So, but his work ethic was off the charts. 
So he showed me a lot of stuff. I trained with him. I mimicked him. and But still, I wasn't changing anything within the community until I was able to change myself. You can't just go to the to a boxing gym or go do something good for, you know, five months out of the year and say that you're changing something. You have to turn it into a real lifestyle. So that's when I started about three years ago. That's what really pushed me over the edge and made me want to start pushing myself. And then within all that situ within all that all that training, I was starting to lose my weight, be in a happier mood you know, feel lighter. My body was starting to not hurt. And I was, you know, you get sore when you're carrying around an extra 20, 30 pounds, your body will be sore and you won't even recognize it until you lose it. And then you're like, dang, I'm floating now. But so then I started, you know, taking it more serious. And then I, so I changed it from a, just a little habit of working out to a lifestyle. And now I'm giving now, you know, I started my own business and I uh started going to school a barber school, which is right here in my community, a barber school that Craig, um, Craig Charles, uh, founded and built up from the ground right here in my own community. So that's what really, you know, made my way and showed people that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So now you can, because you saw where I came from. So was the intent always to go pro when you started um, or you literally it was just uh, this is just helping me get to my better self? Oh, yeah, my bad. I kind of dodged around your question a little bit. But, yeah, the, the intent, my intentions, because I was always, you know, I was a chubby kid, man. So I was always fighting to uh, to prove myself to other people. I was people would call me fat, whatever you know, start trying to join on me or whatever. So then I would, you know, I was, I was, okay, then let's fight. So that was always my go-to. So whenever I got the opportunity to, to train with Roy King, he saw how I was fighting and he was like, man, you're a natural. He was like, you're a natural. He was like, you can, he was like, man, you can make something of your, you can make a name for yourself in this career. He's like, if you, if you want me to show you, I'll show you everything, just mimic me. So then from right there, from right then in my in my in my brain, I put it in there. I was like, man, I'm gonna be a world champion. I'm gonna be a world champion boxing. I'm gonna be a world champion professionally. I'm gonna be a world champion. So he he was like, you know, first you gotta win some. He's like, first you're gonna have to take some Golden Glove fights, some uh some amateur fights or whatever, and fight in the Golden Gloves. And he was like, once you fight in the Golden Gloves, you'll be able to get sponsorship from people. You know, people will see that you're really serious, and people will see you know, your talent that you have. So I trained for a whole year, a year straight, every single day except for Sundays, I would train. And then I took, I you know, took a couple amateur fights and I was winning, boom, 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 winning. So then I made it all the way to the state um, Golden Glove tournament. And once I made it to the Golden Glove tournament, it was, uh, you know, it was all up from there because I won – I won the Tennessee State Golden Glove Championship. So I was the representative for the 165-pound age group or the 165-pound group out of the whole state of Tennessee. So then when it was time to uh when it was time to go to the national tournament, our funds weren't there with our gym. And I had uh fighting for that fighting for for that uh for that Tennessee belt, I had injured my arm. 
So it wasn't even it wasn't even worth it for me to even try to go there because I would have put myself at more risk. And that was just the first year. The second year, uh, this, this is last this year that just now passed. I dropped down to 156 to the 156 division, which is what I'm still at right now. And I won the Tennessee State National or the Tennessee State Golden Gloves for that tournament as well. So then, so then I'm going to the national or I'm going to the southerns, and I uh went on the way to the southerns the week before that. I go and I'm I'm sparring with the number four guy in the nation, um, out of the, I think it was the 132 pound division maybe, but um he's number four in the nation and I was sparring with him, and boom I turn over he he spins around me and he dots me in my eye, he's real he was real quick he dots me in my eye it didn't hurt that all, but it was you know my eye was swollen shut a week before the tournament. So I get, I'm still getting ready, and then I pull up to the tournament in Birmingham, Alabama, and the referees, they, uh, or the doctor there, he weighs me off and says that I'm not able to fight. So it broke my heart because I wasn't able to compete when I knew the people that the people that I had to go up against, they were people that I had already beaten previously in the year. So it just broke my heart that I couldn't uh, compete. So I knew right after that, I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and go pro. Yeah, bro, that would be devastating. Like, and so it was just purely cosmetic. Like, had you ever fought with your, you know, with, with a visible, um, like, eye yeah. before? Yeah, I have, actually. I fought like that before, and they let me fight, and I, you know, was still good. But with this being a, through the Golden Glove organization, I guess they are, you know, they're kind of strict on the situation. And this was, I mean, this was really the worst, uh, the worst injury that I had ever faced with my eye, excuse me, because it was, it was swollen all the way shut. Like I couldn't even see out of it. So, but I was still ready to fight, which is really, it kind of pissed me off, but I understand my coach was like, man, I didn't think they were going to let you fight. I just didn't want to, uh, I just didn't want you to give up just yet. And so, but. You know, it yeah. could have been a – I'd rather I guess be like it's... that and build up than it be a long-term injury. Right. I was going to say with it swollen, like, shut, I guess that would be the, a liability on their hand. And then I guess the sportsman-like aspect of, like, okay, this person already has obstructive vision. Yeah, facts. So, I understood. But my goal after this Golden Gloves was, was to go pro anyway. So, I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and turn. So – that's what I'm doing now. I got you. I got you. So this this first pro fight coming up, man. Like, how do you feel about it? Are you familiar with the guy you're boxing? Have you seen him? Yeah, the guy. Well, I'm not familiar with him, but I've seen him. He's uh, he's from the Filipinos. He's uh, he's left-handed. He has six fights under his belt. He um, he fought on a PBC card, which is one of the highest, which is one of the biggest stages of boxing right now. So he fought on one of the biggest stages. So I'm just stoked, man. I'm ready to, uh, I'm ready to go. I know that they, uh, he's not just a bum from the street. A lot of people for their first fights, 
they'll take bums off the streets and things like that. And I've I, I've never wanted to be to be that kind of fighter. I always want to fight the best of the best. So that's where we're at. I got you, man. So like uh to the people listening, if you were to describe yourself as far as stylistically boxing wise, is, is there is there a comparison you can make or is there a explanation you can give to sort of vis or sort of let them know or imagine like what your boxing style would sort of be like? So my boxing style is um I'm ambidextrous, so I switch up a lot. I switch up a lot. Um I would rather, I mean, my, my, I come out orthodox, but I can switch up to fight in the southpaw position. Um, a lot of people from my gym, you know, they say that I fight like Sean Porter. I don't know if you guys know who Sean Porter is, but look him up. That's who I fight like. I'm super powerful. Nobody in my weight class is going to, nobody in my weight class is going to be able to stand up to me toe to toe. They're going to, the only way that they'd be able to keep a level ground is by, you know, outboxing me, but they would never be able to outpunch me. So I guess that would just be I'm I'm real smooth, I'm hard to hit. You know what I'm saying? But I try not to I try to I'd rather take I would I take punches that I, I take unnecessary punches that I don't even really have to take, which is something that I'm that I'm been working on a lot especially since I'm turning pro. Um, and I've had to switch up my style a lot. I've always had a style. I mean, I've always had a professional style of fighting, which is why I was, at first, I wasn't a good amateur fighter. And then I turned myself into a good amateur fighter, which is throwing more punches that don't count. And now I'm having to turn myself back into a, a professional fighter. So I get to slow everything down and, aim my punches and, you know, throw everything with deliberacy. So you said something that I think people might find interesting. So you said, like, you had to turn yourself to an amateur that that, that basically meant throwing more, more punches. Is that pretty much what it breaks down to? Just, like, you just have to have more punches out to help you land more? Like, what what is the major difference between the two styles? Yes, so – that's exactly what it that's exactly what it uh what it boils down to is amateur in amateur boxing you can barely tap somebody on the head like on the shoulder on the arm you can barely tap them and that would be a point in their point system you know and you know and when you're going forward you get ring dominance and when you're in the professional when you're fighting professionally you can tap somebody all day, but it's not going to affect them. They're they're giving you they're giving you points off of punches landed. You know what I'm saying, and how how hard they hit you. You know what I'm saying. I can touch you 50 times. Somebody can touch me 50 times, just barely touch me, and I just throw one major blow that knocks you out instantly. You know what I'm saying. So it, there's a huge difference. Now there there are some fighters. They uh, pride themselves in punch output in professional fighting. But from my, well, nowadays, with the advancements in boxing and in the sports world, nowadays people are just looking for that one shot. Like, you know, I make you miss, now I capitalize on your miss. Or, you know, some, I'll catch you in the middle of throwing a punch with an uppercut to the chin, just like Javante. Like Davis. 
Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, man, hey, definitely. Um, I appreciate the conversation, man, and uh, hopefully we get a chance to chop it up post-fight and, and talk a little bit. Hopefully, uh, congratulations will be in order. Is there a place that uh, people listening can go check you out, see some of your previous fights, or if they want to support? Who, what do they need to go to? Who do they need to reach out to? Um. So right now, right now, I'm just going off of my. Uh, so I haven't. Man, I'm so I'm so behind on times. I've just been living in a shell. It feels like. So, I'm gonna get my. I'm gonna get a website up and running so people can go directly to the website and then um from my website you will be able to click on whatever link that you want to see whether it be facebook tiktok instagram whatever the case it may be so you can have one air a one stop to find anything but right now i'm just going off of my facebook and off of instagram strictly so um with my instagram the instagram is finitos fades which is F-A-N-E-T-O-S-F-A-D-E-S, Fades. So it's Finito's Fades on Instagram. And on Facebook, it's Kemp Finito. So, you know, look look me up. This is my, first, this is my first interview with you guys. I've done it. This is my first one that I've ever done. I'm doing it with, with my guy right here. You know, so let's keep it up. And maybe one day you'll be interviewing a world champion. You know what I'm saying? Hey, definitely, man. I appreciate it. Let me ask you, though, is that Benito's fade? Is that a pun? Like fade, like punching, but also fade, like fade your hair? Oh, yeah. So I made that to go both ways. You know, it's like Benito's fades. I cut hair. So you'll see a lot of my barbering on a lot of my haircuts on there. And Benito's fades, man. You know, you can catch the fade, which... Nowadays, I guess catching the fade means getting knocked out. So same but so real. Yeah, give me change that you can feel. Yeah, a dream we can't believe. Yeah, welcome to Noville. Yeah.